because now it's more martial arts. It's not boxing, right? It's not like who can punch each other in the head the hardest. It is, can you use the momentum of the people around you to be able to achieve the effect you're looking for? Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 182 of the AB Testing Podcast. Uh, Brent is, I don't even, I can't even see Brent. I think he's lost, but we do have Brian Pulliam here. Say hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? And, oh, there's Brent. Brent just came in. He was shoveling out the barn. Hey, Brent, how's it going? <laughs> hey. Yeah, so I, I hear I'm uh, I'm on today to interview my replacement. Is that right? Did I, did I get well, that? Well, the, the B does stand for Brent, and the B could stand for Brian. So, yeah, we're um, doing a trial run here. But okay. actually, there's a reason I wanted to have Brian here, and it goes back to, I don't know, I think you, maybe you can... Brian, we all worked at Microsoft. Brent's still at Microsoft. I left Microsoft seven years ago. I think Brian left before then. Uh, and we'll get into all that if needed or not. We have no plan here. But Brian, can you refresh me and our listeners more? Because I remember most of it on how, like, how did we cross paths? Yeah. So let's see. Wow. Uh, I worked at Microsoft for about nine years. Uh, I actually got hired they say they hired me as a PM, but my my FTE sponsor at the time for my contract work needed an analyst, but he couldn't get a budget for an analyst. So we hired an analytics PM, which was no PM work whatsoever. They just basically straight up lied to get the right person in the role. So I joined as an analyst and I learned how to be a PM at Microsoft. Not a bad place, Nathan Mirvold having come up with what that role ex- uh, means originally. And I worked with uh, in a group called Engineering Excellence, which had a lot to do with a rotational effort to understand what it meant to be a really good tester or a really good PM or a really good engineer, and then rotate back into the product orgs uh, and bring what you've learned back to Office, Azure, any, name any of the other big orgs you'd like. So there I, I found a, a close friend in the name of Paul Goad, who was a big test champion. And uh, he since moved on to Zillow and a few other places, but uh, we got to talking about product quality. And then your book, How We Test That Microsoft, came up. And uh, so ever since then, I've sort of had that your name in the back of my head. And I stumbled across to find out that you live in the same city I do. Uh, we live like a half weeks. mile from each other. Yeah. We <laughs> walked to like, uh, what, 10 minutes each way to get to a coffee shop, or at least. I, I drove, it was raining. Alan, Alan should have <laughs> drove. He, he probably would have got there faster if he walked, but that's fine. So, uh, no, so I'm look- go ahead. So I'm looking at this, like you met outside of EE. We, ne- we, I think we just barely didn't cross paths. I think yeah. I maybe left as he was coming in. Yeah. So it never, uh, we never met while we were at Microsoft. In fact, we didn't meet until probably what, like a month ago. Yeah. Something like that. But Alan having had a background in, Microsoft and in games, and me having started out my professional career as a game developer, there were too many commonalities to not reach out to Alan for a coffee chat. Having him having worked at Unity, me having worked in children's software at a small company called Humongous Entertainment that made uh, children's games. And, and so. one thing you didn't call out that I, and this is another good connection. There's a data analyst part. Brent's going, ooh, interesting. And 
But, you know, everyone knows, I not everyone knows, I shouldn't say that. All three listeners probably know I do a blog post every week. And there was one where I talked about the different sort of tests. And I'm a big fan of this one from Pat Lencioni called um, Working Genius. Uh, I've also done Strength Finders, and Brian knows a lot about Strength Finders. I thought, oh, you know who else I know who loves Strength Finders? It's Bert Jertson. This well, I don't know who that guy is, <laughs> yeah. but but you know three then, Alan. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and to be clear, I want to be very clear. I am not against Strength Finders, and actually, uh, Brian walked me through. I took the test again. He gave me a key to take it, and results are slightly different than before, but you know, in the same ballpark. And I've evolved. It's been ten years since I took it, so not not a non-van. But I thought it'd be cool to maybe have you two talk about Strengths Finders a little bit because uh, I know it, Brent, Brent's a big fan. It, it sounds like we're going to be singing to the choir. I've said this on this before. My view is Strengths. It, it's got all the, the, the mystical psychotyping of things like Myers-Briggs, but it's actually useful, actionable, and something you can develop and grow in. So, for example, uh, my number one strength is Ideator. But that, that, that's my top one. Right? That's it's, why you drive me crazy. No, it's actually okay. uh, it, the, the ideator is, uh, I would say, one place where we where we connect on. The, the problem is, is every strength is also perceived by others as your biggest weakness. Sure. Right. Right. My, me being ideator, that's actually the place where my my tangentation comes from if i can uh be invited to invent a word it's because i see so a lot of people who don't have ideation will view me as constantly having my head in the clouds right whereas i go oh well uh, it's it's actually the same thing so alan back in the day when we predicted the the beginning of the end for test. I had people come up to me and go, wow, that was really prescient as if I was like a prophet and dreamed it and whatever. And I'm like, no, I just saw how things were connected and I saw the momentum and I saw that, yeah, unless something changes and I don't see anything in the way to do that change, the momentum's in this direction. This is an obvious conclusion. As we've also talked before, I kind of feel the same way around what's happening around in the AI space. Brian, thoughts? So I, for listeners, as I was talking, Brian was doing all sorts of positive body language, like thumbs up, like, oh, wow. Uh, I'll interpret it as someone who can at least pretend to know what he's talking about on this topic. Oh, for sure. I, I will tell you, I'll give you my quick spiel. I think, I think Alan yeah. might've heard this already, but. Uh, I've been in tech for about 26 years, but it hasn't been in one discipline. I was a TPM for a while, was an engineer, I was an EM, worked for Microsoft, Zillow, Coinbase, and other companies. But my most fulfilling role was none of those. <laughs> my most fulfilling role was this volunteer volleyball coach role with my wife for 13 years. And what really struck me about this is um, I didn't even want to go the first day. <laughs> my wife got this job as a coach. She and I met playing volleyball. It's kind of like part-time relationship status. And I said, why would I ever want to coach? Like, I love playing volleyball. Why would I ever want to help people that are terrible at it get better at it? And, <laughs> and then after the first season, I remembered thinking, wow, if I had $3 million in the bank, I would probably just do this 
for the rest of my life until I was physically unable to do it anymore. And then maybe five minutes later, Brent, I said, wait a minute, how am I so bad at interpreting or predicting what will make me fulfilled in life? If I can go from something I thought was going to be stupid to it being one of the most fulfilling activities I've ever had, that freaked me out. I'm like, wait, do I have to say yes to everything going forward? Or do I no, I need to go learn a little bit more about myself. I need to run this postmortem and figure out why I felt so differently before versus after. And it turned it turns out I love helping other people succeed, but only when they are excited and committed to their goals. So not a teacher. People okay, told so, me. So yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm guessing you have developer in your top five. I don't anymore. I used to. Okay. Um, mine are strategic, maximizer, woo, communication, and positivity. If that's not a coach, I don't know what is. But, oh no, um, that that's that is one hundred percent a coach. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. So I remember, or, or like, sales, or sales could be sales. Yeah, easy to. I like influencing other people as long as it's for a good cause. So that's great. And and, and to the listeners. Yeah, Alan, yeah, yeah, please please Al- translate to English for everyone else. <laughs> Alan is is like I, I think this episode might just be for Alan because he is busily cracking him his own self up. So Alan, maybe you should share with the audience. Uh we're not doing a live feed today. No, the, no, no live feed today. <laughs> but I'll maybe I'll draw some pictures for the show notes. Yeah, the it, it's interesting. Like you you mentioned maximizer. I am a restorative. So for for the audience, maximizer is a strength. They want, I'll put it this way. Maximizers can't stand the use of the 80-20 rule. Like, what do you mean 80-20? I want 100, right? It, it, maximizers strive for perfection. One one fact, I don't know, Brian, if you've ever actually done this. Gallup has a bunch of really educational things on, on YouTube for each of the strengths. And if you have, if you have restorative in your top five, something ungodly like 95% chance that maximizer is your number 34. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Someone with restorative is driven to fix broken things. They're good at identifying broken things and they want them fixed. But I'll tell you, once it's fixed, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to take it the extra 5%. That differs from uh, a maximizer who's like, no, wait, wait, why, why are we stopping? We, we still got more. So how, when, when you're a maximizer, how are you doing on your investment? I mean, I'm... <laughs> I, I'm Coast Fire now, so I guess you could say good. I mean, you know, I work maybe three hours a day. Um, oh no, that that that's fantastic. I, I'm just thinking. I'm not a maximizer, obviously. Yeah. But I'm wondering, do you ever find yourself going? No, no, I'm not going to sell now. It's going to go another point. It's oh, going to go no. another point. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, okay. I, I, philosophically, I have a certain approach to money. I have now can be used for something that not only is useful for me now, but better for long-term. And with as much as research I've done, most people lose money when they make decisions to change where their money is. That's where most people lose their money. So um, I'm okay with the Ron Popeil sort of set it and forget it approach with, uh, you know, call me a bogglehead or focused on index funds and Ah. have a year of savings set aside kind of guy, you know, live within my means. 
Yeah, I, when it comes to investment, I refuse to accept that I am in my 50s. <laughs> so I still like, oh, I totally could make a, a killing on that one. Let's go see. Anyway, all right. I will tell you, like, um, this, I'm glad you brought up this idea of what's the flip side of that strength and how other people would be annoyed by it. Cause that is something I think a lot of people who are exposed to this originally don't, don't see there's a, there's the three or four perspectives here. There's how does it help you in your career? There's given that strength. What does your manager need to know about you to get the best out of you with that strength? Sometimes you have to manage up because they don't know this framework. What kind of environment is really good for you? Like, is the team you're on recognize your strength as a currency? Is it even valued there? And then thirdly, like, what are those red flags to watch out for? Because with Maximizer, for example, it is very much you want to eke out that last bit. Like I used to work. You guys know Bruce Dawson at all? Like, uh, Don't know that name. Okay. No. So Bruce Dawson, I used to work with Bruce Dawson back in the day at, at, in game development. And he went on to go work on very nerdy stuff at Google, but he is like the maximizer's maximizer. Like he's trying to figure out how to optimize the last little bit out of every single thing. So if there was a picture in the dictionary of maximizer, it would be Bruce Dawson. Uh, But with ideation, right? It is about how do you not come across scatterbrained and how do you make sure you're balancing your ideation with execution, right? Because other people will be like, when are you actually going to do something (laughs) rather than just spout these ideas? But with the restorative, they help balance each other out, right? So you you get sort of more of the centrist approach where you if, don't have to worry about it as much. If I didn't have restorative and I did have ideation, I don't even know that we would be having this conversation. Yeah. Right. It, 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 the, the other problem with people with, with ideation, so think of it from like an architectural, those who are good at identifying better ways of doing things suddenly lose interest in how we're doing it now. Right, this is the common phenomenon with with a lot of architects. Like Segway, they they invented a, a what I think is a brilliant strategy, and that is run your your V one project sort of partially shifted with your V two project. That way, once your your V one project is halfway done, you start funneling off your your architects uh, onto V two and let them go ahead and start ideating for V two. But then you have your closers working on the V1. And I'm like, oh, that's freaking beautiful. You, everybody's happy. Yep. The, the product ships on time. Because, one again, one of the flaws with architects is that we're really good at coming up with a better way of doing it. And if we have the power to stop ship, we will. Because it's better. Let's do it this way. This is smarter. And yep. then... Because we continuously do that, we'll never actually ship. That has been without my, even with my restorative at times that that has been a struggle, but I learned early on how to balance it. Yeah. You said maximizer, what else were yours? Oh, strategic maximizer, woo, communication and positivity. Oh, yeah. With those strengths. I'll just tell you straight up, uh, having someone on my team with those strengths, because my my team is all data scientists, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I remember one of the best employees I ever had, 
in one regard, and I, I'm thinking through, if it was he best because he really complimented the team. He had communication, and it was his number one. And he would send status reports. I One day, I, was, I just tried to experiment. You know what? I'm going to have him... I hate writing the status reports. I find them a waste of my time. I hate writing in general because one of my strengths is analytical. So I will literally spend a half hour looking at the same sentence and judging every possible way. Well, then you combine in restorative and I'll go, no, that's broken. I got to rephrase it this way. No, that's it's torturous. I hate it. Whereas I live in the moment. We'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Alan, Alan, I'm amazed at Alan. When he and, and I've commented it's on just different skills, man. It, it's it's different skills, different talents. I had him take over my status report. Now, number one, he loved it. Right, it, it, this is the first thing they learned about strengths. I don't have communication; he does. So I go to him and go, and I I, I really can't ask my employee to do this thing that I because to me, status report and pain. Like there is no, there's the, it, it's a perfect union. <laughs> it's it's complete intersection. No, not only did he love it, I had people ask to subscribe to my status reports. Never had that before, ever. So I'm like, are you serious? Right? It, it's this yeah. is what I like about both Strengths Finders and Working Genius. Um, and a little bit different, but there's actually two things I like, and one I want to talk about, but. What you just said is, if you understand how they work, you understand how to actually maximize and play that jigsaw puzzle maker conductor of a team and leverage each other's strengths. Working genius, I'm not going to go deep into that, but it's the same sort of thing. It says some people are, you're good at two of the six of these things, wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, or tenacity. And there's two things probably in there you kind of hate. And, if, and two things you're kind of in the middle. And if you understand that different people are good at different parts of this, of in, of going from an idea or wondering what can be done to actually getting it done, you can orchestrate your team that way. The other thing that's interesting, and Brian, I haven't gone over this with you, so I'd love to get your feedback on it. And Brian already gave me a walkthrough, so he can give me add some uh, significant commentary as well. But is they both can is they can change. Yeah, I uh, Myers Briggs, based on the work of Carl Jung, it says it's it's, it's who you are. It's not going to change. You can adapt, but and that, and it's a little horoscopy, and I like it. I can read mine and go, yeah, that's pretty much me. But these are much more applicable. And the, here's the thing, Brent, you've known me since the first time I took it. You know what I was doing, and then and my I've evolved, and I've I found other things I like doing more, and I'm better at. When I took it last time. I was basically an IC building tools on Xbox. Lots of influence involved, but back then I was in order, strategic, learner, achiever, analytical, intellection, 10 years ago. Okay. Maybe 12 years ago. Today, I'm strategic still, relater, because I'm I've 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 become a stupid VP and I have to have to relate. Uh arranger, which I actually love. It's the favorite part of my job. Or like seeing what can like putting all the pieces together. Looking here's the pieces I have. Okay, here and here and here. It's like cooking. It's fun. Adaptability, um, and intellection. So I'm just kind of curious. Maybe for wait, both wait. of you, like I missed one. Uh, strategic relator, arranger, adaptability, intellection are my new okay. ones. My oh, old wow. ones okay. were 
strategic, learner, achiever, analytical, intellectual. And probably if we went down and got my top 10, they probably have much more overlap. So Brent, just maybe starting with, actually starting from either one of you, like one, am I correct in my interpretation that these can change over time and as you grow and change? There's no, so Gallup, so the nice thing about Gallup doing this, they have over 50 years of like stats on this one, right? There's no evidence that these are, are permanent. And even Carl Jung mentioned uh, Myers, everyone calls it Myers-Briggs, but it's actually Carl Jung that did it, and it's his psychotyping. Yeah, he wrongly stated that, that it's, it's permanent, but even recent things show, no, no, it's actually very common. For example, traumatic events will change your, change your psychotype. I will tell you, I experienced this myself. Uh, I'm not going to go into details on the traumatic event. 30 years ago, I was INTJ. And now I am INTP. I am a strong P, and be- previously I was a strong J. Didn't have much of an effect, obviously, on the other three letters, uh, but that one, massive impact and totally makes sense. In terms of you, like I could see this all makes sense to me, right? Except maybe a ranger, uh, in terms of my knowledge of you, relater. Yeah, I totally see that one. Uh, at the when you left Microsoft, like literally the episodes, I, I bet you we even recorded it because you were nervous. Because the majority of the time I knew you at, at at Microsoft, it was hell no, I will never friggin' be a manager. And I, I want to get Brian's take on this thing, but the, and that reason was at the time. Remember this? I did not want to be a manager, not because I didn't like managing people. Frequently thought of being a manager. Being a manager at Microsoft in the 2010s kind of sucked. These have changed because I've actually really enjoyed leading large teams and the challenges that go on with that. A different set of challenges than I faced in the old days. Anyway, Brian, curious on, on your thoughts on my evolution, even though you didn't know me back. Yeah. Thoughts on my evolution? I will say this. I think I don't, you know, I didn't ask Brent this question, but I think I've probably taken about 105 people through StrengthsFinder so far. So I've done it a bit. And one of the reasons why I found it so natural for me was when I became a leader, the only thing I could look back on for a foundation was athletics coaching. I'm like, okay, well, here's a group of people. We're trying to work together. We're trying to achieve something. It's hard. And I remembered saying, well, I need to use this strengths-based approach in the workplace. I might as well try it. This is what I know. And it worked really well. And it worked so well, I started asking other people like, hey, why do you do it this way? Like here I have like two years of experience as a manager and yet my didn't realize how much of my coaching experience would apply in the workplace. But what I didn't have were stats, right? I didn't have stats that were meaningful in the workplace to say, Alan should do this job or Alan would be good as a TPM um, if he's unhappy being a backend engineer and here's why. So if he wants to consider that discipline change, we should talk about it. But when I found Gallup StrengthsFinder, I said, aha, this is the conceptual thing I was missing that is domain agnostic, but tells me what Alan will be good at or Brent is good at. So now when I look at your transition, those new strengths that got added, the relator and the arranger, and there was one other that was new. What was that third one? Achiever? Achiever was there before, I think. Oh, no, uh, no, no. Adaptability. He adaptability. had adaptability. Sorry, he had I was looking at the old one. Sorry. Yeah. So- 
I mean, it doesn't surprise me either. You know, you get to a point where what you can accomplish by yourself is now a small fraction of what you're expected to accomplish in your role, right? Yeah. We start off, what what's the analogy I use for early career people? You know, you become an engineer or a tester. It's like baking a cake with a recipe. Like, here's the ingredients. Here's the recipe. Now go bake a cake. And I'm going to turn around and make sure you don't burn down the kitchen and don't swap the sugar for flour because it's a bad idea. Yes, they're both white. Yes, they're both kind of look like powdery substances, but don't swap them. And then you get better. And now I care about what you think, not just about what you know. I want your opinion on things, right? When you become a senior. But at some point around senior, when people need to make that transition to what, to staff or principal, depending on the company you're at, this, you need to develop these skills or focus on how do you bring other people along for the ride? Because it's now no longer whether you're the smartest or you're the loudest or you're the most successful person in the room because the projects are too complex to be able to get it across the line if you can't relate with somebody, right? Or you can't adapt. And so I, I don't think it's a surprise at all to say as you advance higher in leadership and the larger percentage of your work is dealing with peers that you don't really have a lot of authority over, you have to relate to them. It's the only way you're going to convince them that to make a, to make a compromise, right? Or, or you're the one that has to make the compromise. So you have to be adaptable. Because now it's more martial arts. It's not boxing, right? It's not like who can punch each other in the head the hardest. It is, can you use the momentum of the people around you to be able to achieve the effect you're looking for? One thing I'd like to hear more about, and maybe bring you off some stuff here too, but like you mentioned, you brought over 100 people through this and helped them. What often happens with these tests is is people take them, they go, oh, like me, like I'll use, let's use me as an example. I go, mm -hmm. oh, Interesting. Wow. I like this. This is really fun. And then never do anything with it. So what advice do you have for managers on, let's say, let's say I put all of my directs through it, again, not knowing their results. What would be my approach to look at that stuff? Do I put them in different jobs? Do I, what's like the quick manager's guide to using this to, um, to improve myself and my team? The directs that I've had, every direct I've had has gone through this I made it a point in our one-on-one -on -one document, right? Like a Google Doc or Shared Doc or whatever, to have the strengths at the top of the one-on-one -on -one doc. So every time we open it, we see it. Like, so we're using process to visually remind us. And there's a lot of engineers that don't do great with verbal cognition to begin with, right? They either have ADHD and attentive like I do, or they subconsciously got into coding because they could see it. They didn't have to remember things because they could look at them all day long. So re-engaging the visual preference that a lot of people in software have is a good first start. Put it at the top as a visual reminder every time. So that's number one. Two, I have discussions with my directs and say, hey, these strengths are like tools in your tool belt. So when we talk about the projects you're going to go on to or a situation at work, the manager's got to reinforce that. Well, what are your tools in your tool belt again? I'm asking them, oh, I'm really good at this and that. Really, how might you use those strengths in this scenario, right? It's a coaching question. It's open-ended. And, and then thirdly, I'm a big believer in having an entire team, like you said, Alan, take StrengthsFinder, and then I create like a matrix. And it's basically got all of the strengths as rows, the people as columns, and I sort it by most overlapping strength to most unique strength like in this spreadsheet. And the idea is 
the top four or five that are up there are like the social norms of the team, right? They are the cultural norms that people should expect when they join this team. New employee joins, I show them this and I say, hey, this team really loves research, right? Or this team really loves solving problems. This team really loves strategic thinking. But there are some people at the bottom here who have strengths that nobody else has. And you need to know who those people are. Because if you need help with X, there's one person on the team that has that superpower and that's Sally or that's Sarah. And so it becomes a means of onboarding, but it also gives and unlocks capabilities for peer mentoring that didn't exist before because the granularity in StrengthsFinder is so high. When you talk about 34 choose five, right? That's a lot of combinations. The odds you have somebody on the team that's identical to you is very, very small. So use always something you can learn from other people. And this helps provide a roadmap for that. That's that's great advice. And I just want to point out because people that are not watching the video feed that doesn't exist, Brent is in love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a bromance uh, potential here. A couple of things that, that Brian said. But it cracked me up because I'm like, yeah, I could I could share my version of that right now. We've all shared our five online except me, so I'll go through that quickly. And I and then I want I, Brian to analyze you. Yeah, I was good. Just I was going to to set that stage, and then I want to answer your question. And then there's another question that I want to weigh in on as well. Ideation number one, relator, individualization, restorative, analytical. Now, my question to Brian, given individualization, what do you think I do with strength finders? Well, let's see. If you're an individualization strength, you're intrigued with this unique qualities of each person. If I am- the prime customer. Sorry. Go on, right? Yep. Uh, you know, if I was your manager- uh, then I would ask if you want to get deeply involved with matching people to projects because you're probably a good judge of each individual's strengths and their weaknesses, which is probably going to optimize the org's productivity. I'm probably going to ask you if you want to teach internal training classes or mentor new employees uh, because you're likely going to spot how each person learns differently. Yep. I would say... I don't like the teaching idea, but I love mentoring. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of depends on the person, right? We're no, no. looking at the strength like in in its isolation. We have we and, have to combine it with the other ones to kind of right, right. I was going to say, and you would have realized that once you combined it with relator, right, right. And given that, you know, your ideal environment is definitely one where you don't have leaders that think that every dev is fungible, right? You you don't philosophically, you're not a believer that I can take any dev and put them on any project because that kind of goes against what you're thinking about from individualization perspective. So, so you don't, you don't want to work where you have a leader that's like, we need to hit this target. Like how many warm bodies, like even the phrase warm bodies, you know, where butts and seats are things that you want to steer clear of because that's yeah. often not your ideal environment. Those are trigger words for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then thirdly, you know, because I work with a lot of clients trying to find um, to find jobs, there's a set of questions that I usually suggest people ask in the interview to help suss out whether or not individualization is a strength that 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 this team that's hiring a position for would would find value in, right? And you would try to ask sort of balancing question. Let's say you're behind schedule on a project. 
And you can take three people that don't understand the code base, but they're immediately available and they'll have to ramp up. Or do you have one person you can apply to it, but it means you're not going to hit your deadline. What do you do? What I would look for is a a leader that's like, well, I'm going to take the person who's the expert and put them on this team because those three people are likely going to (laughs) create more bugs along the way. And I'd rather be a little bit over the deadline with someone who doesn't require a lot of ramp up. So uh, I think I, so in your example, I think I would actually, I think I would far more be far more likely to actually take the three, not because of the heartbeats, because more of my perspective on diversity and inclusion, because I believe that with three, I'm going to get more rounded across the 34 on strengths. And I do actually almost literally think in this way, okay, now how quickly can I understand these guys and get them working as a team towards a positive direction and work in the the appropriate training as they go along like you did an excellent job there much of the things i thought you were going to go into like you can look at those strengths and see why for a big part of my career people would say brit you should not be a manager you should be a architect i got that for a large portion of my career but if you look in my view correctly at these strengths you go no that's a mistake this is not a guy, this is a guy that, I don't like being an IC. I don't like being a manager of managers. I love being a frontline manager. And with my understanding of, of strengths, and I'm sure, Brian, you, you, you see the same thing, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. You know, if you have one of these top fives in execution, that's about as far away from execution as you can get without feeling like you don't get to solve those type of problems, right? Restorative, like there's a fingerprint to the top five where I play this game and I say, guess what my job title is based on the top five strengths. And it doesn't mean that's the job they have, but oftentimes people feel like their job is off. We do this exercise and I say, you know, that fingerprint, it it doesn't look like the title you've got. And I wonder if that's supporting evidence for something for you to consider like a transition Hmm. at some point. I would say I w- I'm surprised someone said, don't be a manager, Brent. You know, when you've got this individualization and relator, you've got two of these relationship building strengths in your top five. Engineers, on average, you don't have that. You know, I'd say 90% of engineers end up with what two of their top five in execution, maybe one or two in strategic thinking. And then the last one is, you know, what? It's either an influencing or relationship building. That's well, kind of the, foot, the fingerprint. The, the way I would describe the scenario now, looking back, is that the people who made that feedback, right? Number one, this was this was like the first 10 years of the career. And strengths has been around a long, longer than that, but I didn't have visibility to it till, I don't know, the last 15 years. So I didn't have the knowledge. But if you look at, at the strengths, that there are certain things that people see. They'll, they'll see outside in, even though they don't know the language for it. Me being an idea guy, I, I got that all of the time. Me being effective at fixing broken things and being highly analytical. They saw that all the time. They didn't see the other things because they were outside looking in. The other aspect is looking back, at least two of the people that, I, that said this, I'm fairly certain were activators. Hmm. Okay, and and for the for our audience, an activator is someone with with 
it's a it's an awesome strength. It it basically means they need very little data, if any at all, to make a high confidence decision. The risk of an activator is they can make bad decisions. But what they do is they 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 really drive this energy around. Alan, my answer to your question, relator makes sense, right? You're an introvert. Uh, and you're now put in a job where you you do more people work. Okay, there's no way for you to avoid talking to people as much as maybe it was when you were an IC. When we talk about the strengths, like why do they change? I'll I'll go back to to that question. Here's an observation I have done, and and I have done actually several. At this point in time, I think I'm, I may not be as high as you, uh, but I have done at least triple digits on, on these ones. And I, I've, if you print out all 34, there's one exercise that I find fascinating. And that is, like Gallup does the top five and they do a, a, a sort of a simplification effect. But if you print all the top four, what I find to be an education, or 34, sorry, an educational exercise is Go down from the top and then write a line where, where, you, where you feel that you are not using this on a daily basis, right? So for me, I, I know I use my top six on a daily basis, and my number six is responsibility. I know I use my top six on a daily basis. Then, then make a new line where you go, you know what? I've noticed that I can keep going down, and I go, I use these ones on a weekly basis, command is, for example, my number 10th. And I have to go to command mode um, at least once a week, but I don't do it daily. Then you could also go monthly. And then there's some of them like you just like straight up, like for me, maximizer, I literally never do. Or if I do, it is so freaking rare. I might as well say literally never do. And if you think about that, Right. If you go into a new role, it would make sense that you're going to go down your strength preference and then going, oh, I'm in a new role where where I have to use this not weekly, but daily. And as you practice that, because they're not these are the the Gallup company will refer to them as what they are identifying here is your top inherent talents. And so they're developable, developable. I'm not certain that's a word. You can you can train in it. The resources that that I mentioned on Gallup. I went there for ideation, and they they talk about okay, how do you know if you're overdoing it? What to do about it? How do you know if you're underdeveloped in your ideation? And what are things to do? Alan and I we spent a lot of time talking about Johnson on here. Right? Johnson, from my point of view, is a guy that is formally teaching you how ideation works and how to take advantage of it. This is Stephen Johnson, author of right. Where Good Ideas Come From. Okay. And and the other thing that's fascinating, if you go and look at if you go and look at the Gallup stats, anyone can can get better in any of these strengths. But if if it's high in your natural talent list, you developing in this you'll see they, they claim a 10 times productivity boost because you're naturally inclined anyway. They're just formalizing the things that, that instinctively you already understand. Design patterns, 
fits within analytical and restorative and ideation. And up until before I learned design patterns, I kind of designed that way, but I didn't know why and, and what it was. And then when I learned that, I'm like, whoa. And suddenly I had a huge boost in, in, in my coding. Alan, for me, I, I totally get why Relator is there. I, I kind of would have expect something more, and I'm bringing out my cheat sheet. Yeah, was there any influencing strengths in there? Yeah, that's no. what I was looking at. I don't see none. None. So it is fascinating that Achiever was there both times because it really is just summarizes the story Brent just said, right? You know, if you are, if Achiever is in your top five, so you care about doing a really good job and having a high impact, what are you going to do? You are going to run experiments subconsciously mm-hmm. on what skills are working well in, in your new role, right? You're going to A-B test this, right? You're going to have control treatment, right? And then you're going to try something that works well and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to dig deeper on that, right? And so it's not surprising to me that those with Achiever uh, will start to develop their strengths to a point where their top five might evolve when their roles change over time. Yeah, I was just looking at it at the same the same pivot that, that Brian was just mentioning. In execution, you have a ranger who who the way I summarize a ranger is they take joy at getting large numbers of other people to do their job for them. What's interesting with me is that influencing doesn't even show up in my top 10. Yeah. Oh, really? That is pretty common in tech. Like I, I've had a number of people take it. Generally speaking, that the, the results skew a little bit more towards executing and strategic thinking as the top two themes. And if I recall correctly, I didn't write it down, but if I recall correctly, you have three in influencing, Brian? Yeah. Which is why, you know, which is why I did well as a PM, right? I come into Microsoft as an analyst. And then I take this career builder because, you know, L&D offers it. And like the bottom thing on the survey is like project manager. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> like I'm a PM and a project manager's like, it's 134th. It's like literally like the last job title they suggest for me. But I'm like, wait a minute, is PM a project manager in this case? And I was like, no, not really. Like if you could design a role where you need to influence without authority, right? Then it is this PM role at Microsoft is why I enjoyed it while I did it. Yeah, that's the yeah that's the, the influencing skill. The way I describe so, Alan, the way you can think of it, right, is is almost like with Myers Briggs executing. If you were, if you were to think of executing as getting tasks done, you can think of strategic thinking about getting thoughts done. So. It is. And the way I think this works is obviously people that work with me know I I have, you would say I have influence. I'm able to get people to change, but I don't do it through the traditional influencing skills. I'm, I'm heavy on strategic, heavy strategic thinking, you know, relations and executing. I do it by getting, I, I do it by getting stuff done. Here's an example. I was talking to a team today about how we're going to do a migration. And it isn't about going to convince a team like this is how you do it and get them all bought on board and 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 doing the influencing part of that. I do it via execution. We're going to handhold the team through initial migration. We're going to get some learning from that. When we're going to 
uh, from there, we're going to get some documentation in place so another team can try and follow that. We'll, we'll make sure we're there for support. They can get through that. Once we get enough autom- workflow automation documentation in place, we think everybody can do the rest of the migration on their own. We'll let them do that, and it'll it'll snowball from there. But if we get stuff done, and people see it as a good idea, but not because I've gone in and played the role of maximizer or or woo, I just, just not in my wheelhouse. I, I'm going to do it through getting a good plan together, getting the pieces in place to execute that plan, and then making sure we produce results. Yeah. One of the things that, that you brought up earlier, you asked earlier, it's, okay, I do this with my whole team. Um, how, do I, how do I leverage this as a manager? Okay. The very first thing is I will say, I now... Don't do the book you showed. I do this one. Strength this based f- for the for the listeners. Strength based um, I, I leadership. I held up Strengths Finders 2.0. Brent has Strengths Leadership 2.0, which I probably need to go read. Oh, and, and, and here's and the I, one I suggest, which is called "It's the Manager." Okay, I gotta I gotta go expand my my book list, which is yeah. basically Brent's book with an appendix for all the strengths. But it's also about um, the role of a leader transitioning a little bit more to coach compared to telling us what to do in the past. The thing I find that's great about this one, and I don't, I don't have that other one. I have three more here I could show, but, but uh, I don't have that one. I'm like, damn it. No, the thing that's nice around this one is you can go through and it gives you a clue as a, as a manager how to kind of put yourself in other people's shoes. Now, me as an individualizer, I do that fairly well. It's sort of the thinking man's empathy. Like, I understand well. But if you don't have a clue and you need a clue, because what I find is you just, just start with five and you start having conversations around how would you solve this problem your way? Right. And they're confused because they're like, wait a minute. I, I thought you're supposed to tell me your way. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to clone myself. What I'm trying to do, right? If you are a clone of me, then yeah, that job to figuring out your way of doing this is going to be a lot easier. I have a lot of hands-on experience, but it's, it's around how do we, uh, because if you, if you, if you help them learn how to solve the problem their way, they are going to do it so much better, so much differently than you, most likely, and they're going to be happier at the same time. Uh, an old manager of mine used to tell me productive people are happy people, and I'm going to tell you that is bullshit. It is happy people are productive people. Get causality in the correct order. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, like, when I've I've had to learn this as a parent, right, you know, I have chores for the kids to do and, you know, not all the chores are created equal. One of them takes 45 minutes and one takes five minutes. And the first dozen times I tried coming up with the system and then I was like, wait a minute, do I care about the how here? Or like, I do, do we need to more, be more like Alan? Like I need to be an arranger and then be like, look, this is the list of chores that needs to get done. You know what done defined is because I'm in tech. And so, of course, there's requirements that list what a clean bathroom look like. But uh, <laughs> so that my 10 year old doesn't like, you know, do half the job. And I said, go figure it out. I don't care how you break this up. And they came up with a solution I would never have come up with in a million years. And it was the following. 
we will do every job, every, both kids will do every chore. They will each just do half of it. And I was like, that is so brilliant and so simple. And I wouldn't like, and I was embarrassed like that, how stupid I felt when my nine-year-old and my 12-year-old came up with something in five minutes. And I was like, well, let's come up with a weight and then you can bid on it. And then there's a budget, you know, like I'm trying to PM this with story points. And they're like, no, we're just going to all do both. The, we're all going to do both. You know, both of us will do all the chores and we'll just get till when it's halfway done and then we'll switch. And I was like, wow, that um, I just got to get out of the way. Like, I, like I don't have these execution strengths like my some of my kids do. So let them run with it. And to my, to that, I'm just going to comment, like, seriously, what problem can't pair programming solve? Exactly. <laughs> All right. We, we are out of time here. But, uh, Brian, I do want to give you, I know you have, what are you doing these days? Anything you want to plug or talk about? Um, please, please take some soapbox time. Sure. So uh, I'm, I now do career coaching for people in tech. Having been had something like 11 or 12 different job titles and found what fulfills me has changed over time, I now help people in tech with three use cases, uh, landing a job in tech, getting promoted, and career clarity. There's a fair number of people that are looking for two or all three of those these days. Uh, so if anyone's interested in uh, talking about my approach and how I help others, they can just go to refactorcoaching.com. All right. And I'll put that uh, link in the show notes. And uh, it's basically just a landing page. It's not a lot out there, but it is very much a strengths-based coaching approach to helping you uh, achieve your career goals. Very cool. Very love it. This has been fun. I've never seen so many hearts come out of eyeballs as I have with Brent today, but uh, super fun. Um, I learned a lot and I'm excited to read some more about this and I have reinvigorated my interest in this stuff. I think it's really valuable. All right. Well, that's all we have time for because I have a four o'clock appointment. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. I'm Brian. All right, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>